This week we are starting a new series. How many of you got this card in the mail this week? How many of you got this card in the mail and thought, oh no. <laughs> what store or website got our address? <laughs> you know, you design these things and you don't always think about how they're going to look going through the mail. Um, and afterwards I thought, well, maybe we'll get a lot of mail carriers in church today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, um, you know, you did, I, 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 some of you, how many, you know, got this and you thought, oh, no, and you just flipped it over, you know, and dropped it. And then you flip it over and think, oh, it's a church thing. And then you're like, oh, it's a church thing. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we, we wrote these up and uh, Pastor Marvin did the text on the back. And, you know, we want to invite you to join us on both campuses in November as we start an exciting new series. And I said to him, I thought you probably could have left the word exciting off. It's, it's, it's probably a slightly redundant in this case, um, but, uh, but we are starting a new series, uh, Sex by Design, today. Uh, if you didn't get the card in the mail, you'll probably get it in the next couple days. If you don't, it means you're not on our mailing list, so fill out one of those communication cards and make sure we have your address, and we'll make sure that you get it. Uh, some of you might think, well, he sent out this, Sex by Design, you know, it's kind of an edgy title and trying to get people in church. That's not it at all. I sent out those cards and emails and push notifications to head off all the parents who might come to me that didn't know and had their kids in service today and wanted to make you aware that, hey, this is the topic for the month of November, so you are aware of it. Um, but it is an important topic for us to talk about. Last April, Pastor Brian and I went to a Christian conference right here in Boston much of the topic of that conference centered around sexuality and specifically values regarding sex increasingly held by people in our culture, but also values about sex that are increasingly held by people in the church who follow Jesus. Coming out of that conference, we both knew that we needed to talk about this topic at Mount Hope. Uh, it sounded like a much better idea in April than it does right now on the 1st of November. Uh, can be an awkward topic, and uh, yet an important topic. Uh, as I mentioned in my email yesterday, seems like it's talked about in every corner of our society, except perhaps the one or two places it should be, in the home and in the church. Uh, I've said it before, many kids, you know, uh, grow up, uh, and their parents uh, never talk to them about sex or money. And they grow up to realize that their parents had both. You'll get that. Um, but it's a topic that should be talked about. should be talked about in the home and needs to be talked about in the church. It's a topic the Bible talks about. It's a topic God has things to say about. And so we're going to spend the month of November looking at uh, various aspects of uh, our sexuality and the God who designed it and created it. And sometimes we forget that. That every good gift and perfect gift is from above and from God. And the good aspects of sexuality, the good aspects of uh, human sexuality are gifts from God. The pleasure, the, everything about that is gifts from God. It can be distorted by sin. It can be distorted certainly by the enemy. But it is ultimately created as a gift from God. Uh, the first couple of messages in this series will deal with two myths that are increasingly becoming more accepted in our world. They are myths about boundaries and happiness. Today I want to talk to you about boundaries. 
And uh, let me start by uh, one personal story. At one point, I was thinking about this. In my life, at one point in high school, uh, there was a girl that I wanted to get a date with. We'll call her Sarah, because I grew up not far from here, and perhaps this girl is still around. So we'll just call her Sarah. <laughs> the problem was that she had a boyfriend most of the time that I knew her, until one day she didn't. And uh, so I was working at Market Basket, where she also worked. Uh, I was bagging groceries, and she was a cashier. I waited what I thought was the appropriate time to wait since she broke up with her boyfriend, and since I found out about it. I think it was about two hours. Um, <laughs> seems like enough time to get through there. Um, got up the nerve to ask her out on a date, and she, for some reason, said yes. Uh, the only problem... Uh, was that uh, I was already committed to going to youth camp the next week. So we'd have to put it off for a while. I was going to youth camp that next week in the summer, and, and I said, well, you know, it'd have to be, you know, in a couple weeks I'm going to a church camp this week. And, and she uh, was willing to wait, and she said, that's fine. Uh, and so I went off to camp. During that time at camp, I had a wonderful uh, God-orchestrated uh, time where I experienced the presence of God where God uh, reaffirmed his call upon my life and his presence in my life, wonderful times at the altar. And those of you that have been those experiences, whether it's a camp, whether it's a retreat, those times when you are away from the normal things of life and it's you and God, uh, know that often those are important times in the life of your faith. When I came back from camp, I knew I would still go out on the date with Sarah, but during that time in camp, my boundaries when it came to dating became a little bit clearer to me. Um, and I uh, knew that the boundaries that I thought about uh, after that time at camp may have been different than prior to that time at camp. So I picked her up at her house, met her father, which was a bit intimidating, and we went out. Uh, but what Sarah didn't know and what I did because of this kind of conviction in my life and this conviction that was on my heart and this just thinking that, look, I, I'm not going, you know, Sarah was not a Christian uh, and I had a good feeling that her boundaries were different than mine. In fact, that may have been one of the reasons I was asking her out on the date before camp. Uh, and so I had a good feeling that her, her ideas of dating and boundaries were different than mine. And so what I did just before I went to pick her up I had a car that had uh, bucket seats, and so I took my Bible, and I, I shoved it down in between my seat and the console. And I'm sure she didn't notice it, but it was always in my mind that anything that was going to happen was going to happen over the Bible. And so there was this conviction in my heart and in my life that she, again, probably didn't know it was there. It seems a little uh, trivial, but, but that's what I did. You know, that, that's, that's what was in my mind. You do different things to help you. Uh, so, um, so I had that Bible there. After we went mini-golfing, I remember, and she won. Uh, whether I let her win or she won, I don't know. Um, but she won, and the question she asked after, I went, what do I get for winning? Uh, I know it sounds like a bad teen drama show. But honestly, that's what happened. Uh, in that moment, I had an idea uh, that her boundaries were different than mine at that moment. I had an idea of, of where she was going. But the Bible was there. We were in the car. I had already committed not to violating my boundaries uh, that I had committed to the Lord the week before. So I made some joke about getting her a trophy, quickly drove her back home, and we never went on another date again. 
to my recollection, we never even talked about that night again. Uh, but it was interesting to me, looking back and thinking about this message, how my boundary lines shifted in such a short amount of time. If I had gone out with Sarah prior to camp, uh, I'm not sure where my boundary lines would have been. I certainly wasn't as strong uh, in my faith and my commitment at that moment. You've probably had a time and experience when you had to think about, set, or enforce your boundary lines when it comes to sexuality. Perhaps you're thinking of a time when you went into a situation with a certain boundary line in mind and you willingly crossed it, or maybe someone crossed that line against your will. If you've not had those thoughts about where your boundary line is, then I want you to be thinking today about where that line is in your life and who gets to set where that line is. Who gets to determine it? You know, in any sport, everyone must agree on where the boundary line is. You watch a football game this afternoon, it's pretty clear. The white line's out, the green field is in. And the boundary lines are clear. In most sports, they are. Baseball's interesting to me. You ever go to a baseball game, it's interesting. The dimensions of the infield are always the same. No matter which field you go to, no matter which park you go to in the United States, the, 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 the distance from, from home to first is going to be the same. First, second, the same. Pitcher's mound, elevation of the pitcher's mound, all going to be the same. But when you get outside of that, every baseball park is a little bit different. The outfield, uh, where, the, where the boundary lines are, what determines fair play and foul play are a little different stadium to stadium. So at the beginning of every game, maybe you've gotten there a little early, the umpire will meet with the managers in a meeting that looks something like this, and they'll talk about where the boundary lines are. You know, if you hit the ball down this way, and uh, it goes uh, to the right or left, you know, then it's fair, you know, this is, it's foul. If it hits below this line or above this line, then it's foul or it's fair, and it's determined and made clear from the very beginning. The boundary lines are set by the person who designed and built the playing field. You can go in and argue as a visitor that you think the boundary line should be in a different place, but when it comes down to it, the final judgment will be based on whether or not you played within the boundary lines set by the designer. So what about the boundary lines of our sexuality? Who sets them in your life? What about God's boundary lines and boundaries for sexuality? When it comes to boundaries, there is belief in general and in sexuality in particular that boundaries hinder freedom. Conversely, there's the belief often that the removal of boundaries equals more freedom and more freedom equals more happiness. Pastor Brian will be here next week and uh, he'll be uh, preaching here. I'll be preaching in Belmont. And he's going to be here next week to talk about a message about happiness. And to talk to you a little bit more about this, I'll actually be giving this same message in Belmont next week on boundaries. But often the thought is that freedom is often looked at as the removal of boundaries. It's even promoted in kids' songs and kids' movies. Anybody see the movie Frozen? What's the main song you know from Frozen? Let it go, right? You want to sing it together? No. No, you don't, right? You don't even want me to sing it because so, it's going to get stuck in your head. At one point in that song, the lyrics go like this. 
I don't care what they... I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem so small and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And it's a short line, but I think encapsulates a lot of beliefs in the world that we live in, especially in regards to sexuality. Freedom is often looked at as the removal of boundaries. But as Tim Keller points out in his book, The Reason for God, freedom cannot be defined strictly in negative terms as the absence of confinement and constraint, which is often the way we think of it. But it's not true. Sometimes he would say, and Keller would say, that freedom uh, comes within confinement and restraint. For example, if you're playing the piano, you might, not me, but maybe you, uh, if you have some musical aptitude, could sit down at the piano and maybe play a little. Uh, maybe play a little, even by ear or something. But if you really want to be able to play the piano, you're going to have to subject yourself to the discipline and restrictions of practicing and learning how to play the piano. And in that case, the restraint that you put on yourself, the discipline you put on yourself, will allow you for a greater freedom when it comes to piano playing. You may have the freedom to play someplace like Carnegie Hall or to do some things with the piano that you would not otherwise be able to do if you did not at first experience the restrictions and confinement of learning how to play the piano. You deliberately lost freedom in some things in order to unleash your freedom in other things. It's not always the case that the removal of constraints and restrictions leads to greater freedom. Now, it's not always the case either that discipline always leads to the goal you want accomplished in greater freedom. Uh, Keller, again, gives the example of uh, you, make, you can discipline yourself all you want to be a lineman in the NFL, but if you weigh 125 pounds, that discipline is not, I promise you, going to lead to greater freedom. Probably just the opposite. Uh, so discipline and constraints liberate us only when they fit with the reality of our nature and capacities, when they fit with how we have been designed. Take this fish, for example. You're wondering why there's a fish on stage, or perhaps you figured it out by now. The fish absorbs oxygen how? From the water, right? Right? As gills absorbs oxygen uh, from the water. Uh, and uh, because it absorbs oxygen from the water, it needs to stay in the tank. We might say, well, it's restricted in the tank. We need to liberate the fish. We should remove the boundaries of the tank and allow the fish to just roam free. I could take the fish out, put them on the table, and tell Jack, you are free to be and go. Aren't you happy that I have liberated you from your constraints? But if I did that, you know as well as I do that the only thing we would accomplish is the death of a fish. And perhaps a little kid really disappointed the death of their fish. Uh, because with those boundaries released, we uh, removed, we have imposed the greatest amount of restriction possible on the fish. We have killed it. 
and uh, not acting in the way it was designed. So freedom, as Coward defines it, is not so much the absence of restrictions, but finding the right ones. When it comes to sexuality, we all have boundaries. Some people might say, well, people should just set their own boundaries. Let people just do what they want. Let them set their own boundaries. But we don't really believe that. We don't really believe that's true. Because if you're honest with each other and we're honest, if we're honest with each other, and if I started naming things humans do sexually to one another and ask you if it's okay, at some point everybody is going to hit a line and say that's not okay. At some point everybody will hit a line to say no, that's not okay. And the question is where does that boundary line fall and who gets to set it? It's not true that we think we should remove all boundaries when it comes to sexuality. Uh, this happened, this conflict came, happened for two U.S. soldiers. Perhaps you've heard the story. It's been in the news lately. 2011, Captain Dan Quinn and Sergeant First Class Charles Martland uh, found a U.S.-backed Afghan commander raping a boy and beating his mother. The men, who were part of the Army's special forces, accused the military of ignoring the practice largely because of their mission to promote local commanders. But Martland and Quinn, uh, for them, a boundary line was being crossed, and they could not ignore, and they took action. Because of the action they took, the military actually took action against them for disobeying orders. For Martland and Quinn, there was a boundary line that was crossed. For that Afghan man, he did not have the same boundary line. So everybody has boundaries, but who gets to set them? Everybody at some point would say, no, that's not acceptable. But who sets them? The boundary lines when it comes to sexuality in our culture have shifted radically and rather quickly in the last 60 to 100 years. Perspective on marriage, divorce, adultery, sex before marriage, homosexuality, all have radically shifted rather quickly. We live in a world with apps like Tinder that ultimately help people find other people who just want to get together for sex based on little more than appearance. We live in a world where websites exist that unashamedly advertise they exist to facilitate affairs between married people. We live in a world where the hookup culture is so prevalent on college campuses that some studies believe that 65% of college students are involved in this hookup sex without commitment lifestyle. So if freedom is about finding the right boundary lines based on our nature and capacities, what are the right boundary lines when it comes to our sexuality. You might first ask, why does, God, does God, why does God have anything to say about this with our bodies and what we do with our bodies? Uh, the truth is, if you're a follower of Christ and you're a Christian, uh, we live our lives as living sacrifices. We live our lives as if we are not our own. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about uh, this, this aspect of sexual immorality, but he also talks about in relation to the body. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And he's talking a lot about food here. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. In other words, God, your body has not only been created by God, it has been created for God. 
It has been created for the Lord. That's a very different place to start than most people. It means that our bodies will find the greatest amount of enjoyment when they are used in the way that our Creator designed them to be used. Our bodies not being used solely for self-gratification is different, but an important starting point for Christians. We live in a culture that often says, well, your body is there to satisfy your own pleasure and your own gratification. But if you are a Christian and you are a follower of Christ, you and I start from a different starting point. We would say, my body does not belong to me, and the creator and designer of my body not only has something to say, but needs to be listened to in regard to what I do with my body. God has much to say about boundaries for the bodies he created, not only about sexuality, but also about things like work, Sabbath, and rest. Try violating the God-imposed boundary of sleep for very long and see if it gives you greater freedom or less freedom. God has designed on our bodies for a reason. The same for Sabbath rest, the same for our sexuality. So what is God's boundary when it comes to sex? Well, it's actually pretty simple. It's not that complicated. It's spoken in a number of places in Scripture and can be captured pretty much in one sentence. God's boundary is one man, one woman, living in covenantal relationship for life. And that's it. It's as simple as that. It's simple to say, hardly simple to live out in life. There's many places in Scripture it talks about this. Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus says, Haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Uh, there's other places, Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. You ask why, and people were asking, why won't you accept our offerings, God? Why, why won't you listen to our prayers? It's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and your, the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. The boundary line for Christians is very simple. It's one man, one woman living together in covenantal relationship for life. That's the boundaries. There is not one place in God's word where God advocates or celebrates sex outside of a marriage relationship between a husband and wife, not one. Everything outside of that boundary is prohibited in Scripture, whether it's prostitution, sexual violence, sex with animals, or sex with relatives. We might all be able to agree easily that there's problems with those, but just as Pastor David Platt says, God uses the same force to say that sex between men and women who are not married to each other is not God's plan whether that's before, during, or after a marriage. The Bible also restricts lusting after and thinking about promoting and thinking about and promoting sex outside of marriage. God also prohibits crude speech and humor that revolves around sexual immorality. The only God-honoring alternative to lifelong covenantal relationship between a man and a woman is singleness. Both Jesus and Paul promote that not only as an option and a choice, but as a very God-honoring option and choice to live your life uh, as a single person unto the Lord. Uh, those are the only uh, relationship outside of that boundary. We might see this as narrow and restrictive, 
But as we listen to the designer and his instructions about sex, like a fish in water, we might find that these boundaries provide the greatest opportunity and place for freedom. And living outside of them actually creates restrictions. You could go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and think about Adam and Eve, and we're talking about the same argument. There was a boundary put in place. God said, the garden is yours. It's beautiful. Enjoy it. Pleasure and work and everything, it's yours. Enjoy it. It's paradise. Just one tree in the middle of the garden. Leave that one alone. Don't eat of that tree. And uh, that's, that's the boundary that God had put in place. It's a fundamental strategy, however, of the devil to convince us that God, that what God ordained, the God-given boundaries in regards to anything are simply put in place to control us, to keep us from being like God, and to hinder our enjoyments. Sound like familiar arguments. The devil convinced Adam and Eve the boundary was the thing causing them pain. He steered their attention away from all that God provided and took their attention off God and distorted the character of God so that they chose to act outside of the God-ordained boundaries and it resulted in pain for them and for all who lived since then. Would we have made a different decision? Perhaps. But the truth is every day we make similar decisions. Similar decisions to live outside of God's ordained boundaries. There's not always a cost, though. Sometimes you can look and you can say, well, what's the, what's the, who's getting hurt? What's the cost? But if you look closer, there's always a cost to living outside the designer's boundaries. Recent article in a magazine I don't usually read, but found it online in Vanity Fair. Uh, one person said this, talking about this hookup culture and uh, talking about uh, Tinder, uh, the app. said, it's like ordering seamless, says Dan, another investment banker, referring to an online food delivery service. But instead, you're ordering a person. There's no dating. There's no relationships, says Amanda, a senior at Boston College. They're rare. You can have a fling that could last seven, eight months, and you could never actually call someone your boyfriend. Hooking up is a lot easier. No one gets hurt. Well, not on the surface. It's a contest to see who cares less. And guys win a lot at caring less. One of Amanda's friends chimes in, sex should stem from an emotional intimacy, and it's the opposite with us right now. And I think it really is kind of destroying females' self-images. It's a cost. What would it like to be to live in a world with no STDs, what would it like to be live in a world with no unwanted children or babies left behind or abortions? Wouldn't it be great if we lived in a culture where people didn't use sex to manipulate others or withhold sex to gain power over another person? Would not the world be a better place if there was no rape or any other criminal sexual acts? Wouldn't the world be better if there was no sex trade, no prostitutes, no pornography, no sexting? Follow God's simple rule for sex and boundaries, and we'll live in this world. Now, that's not to say there are not sexual problems in marriage. There are. When we talk about following God's rules for marriage, it also talks about how we are to love one another, and that doesn't always take place even in the marriage relationship. That's another message about loving others the way you wish to be loved and the way God loves you. But if we lived in this world where we lived within the boundaries of God and loved each other in those boundaries the way God entails, how many of these things go 
away? And how many of these things are a cost and a price for choosing to live outside of the designed boundaries of God? Uh, what is involved here is what you believe about God and whether or not you believe he's for you and that his restrictions of freedom will actually be for your good. God knew that we would ask about boundaries. In fact, there's a passage in Scripture that talks very clearly to this idea that people that follow God will one day ask, what's with all the rules? It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, as one generation is passing away and a new generation is rising up, God says in the future, when your sons, or Moses is writing, Moses says in the future when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, what's with all the rules? Tell him. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that, say that with me, so that, you can do better than that. Say it again. So that, what's with all the rules? So that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So God says, look, it's natural. People are going to ask what's with the rules, what's with the restrictions, what's with the boundaries. This passage tells us first that God is worth listening to. Tell them first how much God loves them. Tell them first of what God has done for them. For the Israelites, it says, tell them about God bringing them out of a land of slavery and bringing them in to a land not to put them into more bondage, but to give them greater freedom. I didn't deliver them from slavery to bring them into more slavery. I brought them out of slavery to bring them into a place of freedom. And so he says, first tell them about how much I love them. And it's true with us too. That the commands, the restrictions, the boundaries come from a God of love. Come from a God who put himself under the most severe boundaries by leaving heaven and coming to earth and laying down his life for you. So he's worth listening to when it comes to this topic of boundaries and sexuality. But again, it comes down to what do I believe about God? Do I believe that he's there and he's in it for my good and his best is best and his better is really better? Or do I think that my thinking is better and best? He says, first tell them about my love for them. His boundaries are worth listening to because he has already shown and expressed his great love for us. But then he says, second, the passage says, tells us that he gives us boundaries for our good and for our prosperity so that we might always prosper, prosperity, and be kept alive and have life, prosperity, blessing, and life, and righteousness, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, all those things that often accompany 
all those things that often accompany sexuality outside of the design plans of God. You can try and run from it. We can try and run from it and say, well, guilt and shame, well, that's just something that exists because of society and the boundaries and things like that. Well, you can say that. We're living, many people, in a world and society that was not brought up with those rules, and yet the guilt and shame still exist. Reading about more than I wanted to know about this hookup culture these days, often reading articles of how much alcohol has to be involved to even participate in it. Almost every article said, when I'm drunk enough, this is the way that I go. But if I'm sober, I'm not making these decisions. Not to say that everybody is drunk when they do it. That's not the case. But what I'm saying is to say that we get away from this guilt, shame, and everything and righteousness completely, I think, is being a little bit surface and not looking deep enough. And God is saying, look, righteousness, life, and prosperity are found living within the boundaries that God has ordained for us. Like a train on the track, the conductor might only see the short distance in front of him, but God sees the whole track and can see the train maybe heading for a collision course with disaster. Keller goes on to say that the most liberating freedom, that love is the most liberating freedom loss of all. Love is the most liberating freedom loss of all. The truth is When it comes to love and our sexuality, living within boundaries is necessary to experience and to express love. Let me say that again. Living within boundaries is necessary to experience and to express love. Having a person who is completely committed to me, as the vows go, has agreed in principle and action to forsake all others to be with me is a huge expression of love. When a person has voluntarily chosen to focus their sexual thoughts and energy on me instead of anyone else, I feel loved. When a person is completely vulnerable with me and only then I feel open and able to be completely vulnerable with that person, not only physical, but also an emotional vulnerability. What's wrong with the, often these days is people want a physical vulnerability without an emotional vulnerability. And, and they want the physical vulnerability, and God says, I want both for you. God's plan and design is that you would be living. The reason the covenant relationship is so important is because we can make ourselves physically vulnerable, but still hold ourselves back emotionally. Still hold ourselves back and protect ourselves and hide ourselves. C.S. Lewis says we often will, I'll paraphrase, often take our love and lock it up so it does not get hurt and only later go back to find out it's turned to stone because we have protected it so. This is why when I talk to couples about their relationship before marriage, the topic of premarital sex is so important. Not because it's God saying, I don't want you to have any fun, because it's God saying, I want the best for you. I want you to have that complete emotional vulnerability, not just physical vulnerability. And so God designed it in a certain way. If I'm going to express love to another person, there can be no greater way and no way possible if it does not involve restricting my freedom. Your words might say you love someone, but if your actions say that every opportunity you have, you spend with someone else that does not express love. 
Jesus said that the greatest love a person can show is to lay down their life for another person. That is quite literally the greatest loss of freedom that a person can give and experience, the loss of the freedom to live. But there is a whole lot of freedom loss between giving of your physical life and not restricting your freedom at all that is called for if you're going to express love to someone. If I'm going to express love, it is going to involve giving up my freedom. Let me close with this. Time Magazine recently featured an article that asked, is monogamy over? The article offered various opinions, including monogamy as a charade that leads to institutionalizing dishonesty. Monogamy is just an option, not the default, and there's no right there's no wrong. But this article in Time Magazine also featured Pastor Andy Stanley who offered this biblical view. Monogamy, Andy Stanley says, is more like an endangered species. Rare, valuable, something to be fed and protected. Perhaps an armed guard should be assigned to every monogamous couple to ward off poachers. Perhaps not, but that's it's not bad. The value a culture places on monogamy determines the welfare of its women and children. Women and children do not fare well in societies that embrace polygamy and promiscuity. In the majority of cases, sexual freedom undermines the financial freedom of women. Sexual freedom eventually undermines the financial and emotional security of children. If we are only biology, none of the above really matters. If we are only biology, monogamy was probably a flawed concept from the start. But very few of us live as if we are only biology. As a pastor, I've officiated my share of weddings, and I've done my share of premarital counseling. I always ask couples why they are getting married. Survival of the species never makes the list. The I and you that inhabit our bodies desire more than another body. We desire intimacy, to know and to be fully known without fear. Intimacy is fragile. Intimacy is powerful. Intimacy is fueled by exclusivity. So no, monogamy is not obsolete. It's endangered. I think that's put pretty well. This idea that uh, living within God's designed boundaries it's going to take restriction, but it doesn't lead, it's not there to lead simply to restriction. It's there to lead to the greatest amount of intimacy that can exist on this earth between two human beings. We'll talk a lot more about that in the coming weeks, but this morning really the focus was on boundaries. So are the boundaries really there to take away our freedom? Is your way better? Is our society's way really better? This is a question for you to answer. Who sets the boundaries when it comes to sexuality in your life? Boundaries are a doorway, I believe, to greater freedom and that they are necessary, put there by our designer so that, they may, so that we may experience and express love in a deeper and more intimate way. That in our sexuality, that when we look at it, that the boundaries that God has put in place, that if we trust him as the designer, if we trust him as God, 
then at some point and at every point, we've got to say, Lord, I'll trust you in this area too. I'll trust you not only with my pain when we come and pray, when we're sick and hurt and need guidance. I'll trust you also, and sometimes I think this is a harder one, with my pleasure, with my joy. Will you really, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, I will say it's not that hard to trust God with your pain sometimes because you will go anywhere if someone will give you an answer for that pain. But many times in our world, it is very hard to trust God with our pleasure. Many people think they know better when it comes to pleasure than the designer and God. Many people think that God is not concerned about it, but I remind you at the end, as I did at the beginning, that God is the creator of every good gift. The enjoyment of sexuality, the enjoyment of intimacy, I believe that is a gift of our creator and designer to us in our lives. And God cares about it. But will we trust him with our pleasure as much as we trust him with our pain? The greatest restriction of freedom in love is Jesus coming to this world to rescue a world caught in sin. His setting aside his glory and then submitting himself to death on a cross is a massive restriction of freedom. And he did that for you and for me. He died for you, and he calls you to live for him. And if you've never taken that step to follow the Lord and to give him your life, you maybe you thought that Christianity was just all about rules, just all about the thou shalt nots, just all about restricting your freedom. I hope maybe this morning that you would consider a different perspective, that all of those rules and restrictions come about for your life and prosperity and righteousness. If we're starting from two completely opposite positions, though, and your position is, I'm in it for my own self-gratification and what I can get out of it, then all of this will sound quite foolish to you. But if we're starting from the position that the Lord is God, that he's Lord, and I will live my life for him as a living sacrifice, then you must answer the question, who sets your boundaries? And how will you live that out in your life? Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning and we recognize that it's not just with our sexuality, but it's in just about every part of our lives that we are tempted to act out of our way of thinking and our own wisdom and what we think is best. Lord, we are, we are tempted to think that even with a children's song, that if we remove all the rules that will have the most freedom, but what we often find is that we have locked ourselves in a self-imposed prison where we can never experience true intimacy and love. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would give us a new understanding, that you would take our focus off of the rules, off of the restrictions, and take our focus and put it on the loving God who has given them to us and designed us for your pleasure and created all the good gifts we have around us.
Father, I pray that you would help us to understand. Help us to understand your love. Help us to understand the freedom that is available to us when we live according to your plan. Lord, the life that is available, the prosperity, the blessing, the freedom. Lord, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from wondering. Or there's people in here that, 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 that may, maybe are living without that freedom. Freedom from wondering. Wondering, will I pick up a disease? Did I pick up a disease? Wondering who else they're with. Wondering if they're betraying me. Wondering if they're not being true to me. Father, would you help us to understand that the way you have designed us and this world, that there is... Lord, there is a way that we can live without those fears and wonders, Lord. Lord, and I pray that you would help us to do what our Lord has asked us. Take up our cross, deny ourselves, follow you. And when we do, may we find that in that place there is life and prosperity and righteousness. Father, I pray for the man or the woman who's sitting here today, and today's message was kind of heavy. And there are thoughts in their minds from the past. Lord, I thank you. The song we sang a few minutes ago, covered by your grace. And if you're sitting here today and you've never taken the opportunity, there's maybe something in your sexual past, something in your history that's been there, and you have never taken the time to ask God's forgiveness and ask him to cover it by his grace, then I would invite you now to take that moment of space to give it over to God, to confess it to Him, and to allow Him to cover it, cover it in His grace, to allow Him to give you the strength to turn away from it, to allow Him to give you the freedom to not live under it any longer, that you would take these moments, confess it to God, and, ex and, and accept His forgiveness and His grace in your life, Lord, and His grace in your life. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your love for us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.